0: If you have a Bible, open up with me um, to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 34, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34, and as you're opening up there, let me say how excited I am about kicking off uh, the Christmas season next weekend with our Hanging of the Green, and uh, really excited about that. And uh, there's lots going on during Advent. Uh, lots of opportunities to invite people to church, to tell people about Jesus. And I hope you'll uh, take advantage of those opportunities this year. Um, we will have invitations for you uh, to give to friends and neighbors and others. So be look, be on the lookout for those. And uh, again, be praying about who you might and how you might invite folks uh, to church this Christmas season. Well, if you have your Bibles open there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read all of verses 17 through 34. If you're able, why don't you do me a favor and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 17. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we pray that each month when we come to this table, you would make it a table of unity. Oh God, we thank you for the fact it's a table of grace. Oh God, make us holy people as we come to this table. And oh God, thank you for welcoming us to your table. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Is there anything more joyful, anything more joyous, almost nothing more beautiful in the world than being welcomed to the table of a loved one or friend. Uh, There's just something about gathering together for a meal, gathering together to share at the table, that there's just something special and beautiful about that. Many of us just experienced this just a few days ago Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays precisely for that reason. There's almost nothing more beautiful than gathering together at a table with loved ones and enjoying the goodness of God's creation in a delicious meal. Thanksgiving can be a sweet time with family, with friends, and loved ones that reminds us of how wonderful fellowship can be at the table. But for others, perhaps, Thanksgiving and the other holidays are a stinging reminder of those who aren't there. Maybe you're one of these people who decided to bring up politics at the Thanksgiving table, and now you're thinking you may never go back to Thanksgiving again. I I don't know where you are on this. Maybe you're being reminded of fellowships that are broken. Maybe you're being reminded of these things. Let me say this. No matter what, during this season, we are reminded of the joy and beauty, whether it's through loss or whether it's through a direct experience with it, we're reminded of the joy and beauty of gathering together at the table. Now, can you imagine anything more wonderful Anything more joyous. It's one thing to go to grandma's table. It's one thing to go to your aunt or uncle's table. But can you imagine anything more wonderful than being invited to the table of God? To being invited to eat, to dine with the king. Today, we've already been invited to come together and to partake of a supper together at the Lord's table. Several months ago, we began the process here of taking the Lord's Supper monthly at First Baptist Church. And and part of what I want to do today is show you why, help you see why, what the Lord's Supper points to, what the Lord's Supper teaches us, to help you see why we wanted to take it more frequently. I've already mentioned this before, but I'll remind it. it, we, we felt like it would be good for us to take it more frequently. And so today I'm preaching on the Lord's Supper as a reminder to all of us, we we felt like with us taking it more frequently, we felt like it would be good to have a Sunday where we dedicated the sermon portion of the service to preaching on the Lord's Supper to be reminded, to to remind all of us why we take it and what it means when we take the Lord's Supper. So today, I want to show you three truths, uh, three truths um, about the table of God. Three truths about the Lord's Supper that I hope will shape and form the way you prepare your heart to take the Lord's Supper, and three truths that I hope will shape and form the way our congregation takes this supper together. Three truths this morning on the table of God. Here's the first God's table is a table of unity. God's table is a table of unity. Now, for all of you who are note-takers, I bet you can already guess what points two and three are going to be. I'm not going to throw you any curveballs, so I'll just go ahead and let you know. I'll give you the freedom to go ahead and get out ahead of it just a little bit. God's table, first of all, is a table of unity. Now, I want you to notice something that might be troubling to you as we read this text. Paul begins by saying, In the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, that is not a good thing to hear from the Apostle Paul, right? When you go to church, you're leaving worse than you, than you were when you got there. Uh, let me just go ahead and tell you guys, that's the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish here, right? Uh, that's the opposite of what church is designed to do. But Paul begins to explain why this is the case. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you. What is Paul saying? Paul's not saying that it's wrong to have differences of opinion in the church. What he's saying is there are visible divisions in the church. And notice what he says. But Paul is notorious for being a little bit sarcastic. Um, Now listen, some of you might be naturally sarcastic people. And so I want to talk to you specifically. I wouldn't know anything about that. But um, uh, let me just say, the presence of sarcasm in the Bible does not justify the use of of, of sarcasm in any and every circumstance. Okay? So so be careful. Just just because it's there doesn't mean you can use it any time you want. You are not inspired by the Holy Spirit when you're sarcastic. Okay, But here we can see Paul being a little bit ironic. What does he say? He says, well, I hear there are factions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It's a strange thing maybe for Paul to say. It's good that there are divisions in the church in order that we can see the ones that are genuine. What's Paul saying? What he's saying is when we come together and when we show division in the Lord's church, what we're doing is acting like we're not Christians. And genuine, not genuine at all. We're not acting like we're united by what we ought to be united by. Paul says there are division, divisions among you and perhaps it's good. What Paul's saying is there ought not to be divisions in the church. Now, now this is the beauty, I think, of the Lord's church. What we are called to do, the Lord's table and in the Lord's church, is to seek unity in the midst of divisions. To seek unity in the midst of divisions. This is one reason why I I wanted us to, and our pastors here and staff wanted us to, come to the Lord's table more often. Now, we are a unified church. There's no question about that. It's one of the great joys of my life is to pastor a unified church. But that's not something we want to take for granted. And we sure don't want to leave any tools for unity that the Lord has given us on the table. And so one of the ways that God unifies His church is through the Lord's Supper. Now, some of us look around the room and we are reminded of divisions we have with individuals. We think of people that belong to certain groups, perhaps, and we think of divisions we have with them. And perhaps you just think, you know, I saw that guy's Facebook posts this week and I don't agree with him on maybe anything. But then, as the plate comes around and you partake of that supper, you realize I do agree with them on something. Maybe the most important thing. I am more unified with them than I am with the people I shared Thanksgiving dinner with because we are all together at the table of the Lord. We are united by the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are recipients of the grace of God. What brings unity more than that? We must seek unity in the midst of divisions. I'll, I'll tell you guys this I think the worst thing that Christians can do in the age in which we live, a divided age, an age where people disagree not just on minor issues, but on major issues. Christians disagree on major issues. The worst thing we could do as Christians to reach a world around, a divided world around us, is to break up into the same camps as the world. I don't have any desire, any desire at all, to have a church that's built around worldly unity. We all think the same politically, or we all think the same about this, or we all think the same about that. Anybody can achieve that sort of unity. The difficulty is finding unity across dividing lines. And I think showing the way that the gospel brings us together rather than driving us apart is probably the most important tool for the Christian witness in the months, years, and decades to come. There's nothing more important than people who are divided looking and wondering why we get along at church. Some folks get along everywhere but church. It ought to be the opposite, shouldn't it? seek unity in the midst of divisions, but also we must seek unity by counting others as better than ourselves. Uh, The Lord's table reminds us of the unity we truly have, but it also reminds us to count others as better than ourselves. Notice what the problem was at Corinth. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Uh, This is a situation where people are coming together and being selfish. Now, it seems like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the early church had a fellowship meal every Sunday, and at this fellowship meal, that was when they took the Lord's Supper together. Uh, It was in the midst of a feast, a meal that they have um, together. And so uh, you can see here this situation where they're coming together to have this meal. And not only are they not counting it as the Lord's Supper, not only are they not recognizing it as a holy time together, on top of that, they are abusing the feast. There are people who seem to be rich, who seem to have a lot, who have brought their own food And rather than putting it off at the common table, they go ahead and eat before anyone else has a chance. And then those who have less didn't bring their own food. They weren't able to have their own food. They didn't bring it, and so they didn't have enough to eat. There are even people at the Lord's Supper, at the end of church, who are getting drunk at the Lord's Church. Now, I know some of you are wondering, how in the world did they get drunk on those little cups of grape juice? But somehow, it happened. Here's the reality. People were coming there and they were being divisive. They, they were seeing themselves as more important than others. In fact, they were seeing their hunger, right? The fact, they're hungry. I, I need to eat. I'm hungry and I've got enough. They're seeing that as more important than their brother or sister who doesn't have enough. And can you imagine the humiliation that someone would feel while they have nothing to eat and their brothers and sisters in Christ are engorging themselves to the point of even getting Drunk. We must seek unity. This table is a reminder that we should count others as better than ourselves because as we eat the bread, as we drink from the cup, we are reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ who counted others as better than himself. Now, I want you to notice how perplexed Paul is by how they're acting. Why is he so frustrating? It's because the supper itself is a sign of unity. Our lives are framed, we're saying, as we take the supper. Our lives are framed by two advents. The first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came, when he lived, when he died, when he rose again, and by the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we partake of the bread. We are reminded that his body was broken for us. We are reminded that his blood was shed for us at the cross. But we are also looking forward to the hope of heaven when Jesus himself will gather his church and prepare for us a feast, what the book of Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's nothing that could be more unifying than these truths. And Paul's saying when you come together in disunity, you are not taking the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper marks the unity of the Lord's church. God's table is a table of unity. And second of all, God's table is a table of grace. God's table is a table of grace. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I love this. Paul here is reiterating the received tradition. As a pastor and as a theologian, one of the things that frustrates me the most in the world is when people try to divide the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. When people try to act like what Jesus had to say uh, takes precedence over what the apostles said. But what the Bible teaches us is that what the apostles said, they said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that what they said they received from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a received tradition. And so we don't bifurcate. We don't split out the New Testament between what Jesus said as more important and what the rest of the Bible says as less important. All of these words are the words of God. All of the Bible are the words of Christ. And so Paul says, "I received I gave to you what I also. What I, I received from the Lord what I also delivered." To you. Paul is reiterating that it was the Lord Jesus that taught us about grace. It is the Lord Jesus that gave us the gospel. And there is a grace in the fact that Paul received the gospel and passed it along to the Lord's church. But not only did Jesus teach us about grace, he showed us grace. Well, you've probably come close to having this passage memorized by now. Give us a few more years and I think all of us will as we take the Lord's Supper with more frequency. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we eat this bread in this supper, we are reminded of the broken body, the way the Lord Jesus suffered. On our behalf, this is a small thing, and I don't think everyone has to do it. But one small thing I do to remind myself of what the Lord Jesus did—I think there's biblical precedent for it—before I eat it, I I break my bread. I just break the cracker into you, and it's just a, a tangible reminder for me. Um, it's one of the things. An early Baptist theologian I read several years ago. Someone had asked him what proper elements were uh, for. Um, for the Lord's Supper. And one thing he said is the only thing I'll say about the bread, it's irrelevant whether it's leavened or unleavened. This is his thoughts. He said what matters is that it could be broken. The bread be able to be broken. And so just one small thing I do to remind myself of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus is to break the cracker uh, before I take it. It's a reminder that Jesus showed us grace not only in his body being broken but in his blood being shed. His blood being shed. The Bible says is a picture of the new covenant in his blood. We are reminded of the receiving of grace through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to remember this every time you come to this table. It is a table of mercy. It is a reminder of our own inability to save ourselves. It is a reminder of the unmerited grace and favor of God. My friends, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Sometimes I fear, I almost overemphasize the warnings of the supper and all the other aspects of the supper at the expense of the fact that we are here to celebrate the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reminder as we come together that we are a people who are loved by God. But my friends, not only is the table of grace because of the grace we've received, we're also reminded that there's more grace coming. God's not done being good to his people. For as often, verse 26 tells us, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the supper ought to put resolve in our hearts for today because of the hope it pictures for the future. As we come to this supper, not only are we reminded of what God has already done for us, we are reminded of what God will do for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's table, my friends, is a table of unity. God's table is a table of grace. And finally, God's table is a table of holiness. I say this a lot, but it bears repeating. When we come to the Lord's table, we arrive at a crossroads. Everyone has a choice to make when they come to the Lord's table. Notice what the Bible says in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I want you to hear this very carefully. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, this is a tricky verse because who among us is worthy to sit at this table? Obviously, this is... What Paul's saying is not that everyone who takes of the supper needs to be perfect. But we do need to evaluate our hearts. We come to a crossroads. We come to this warning of Scripture. All privileges come with corresponding responsibilities. And the privilege of sitting at the Lord's table, the privilege of enjoying the Lord's grace, also comes with it the responsibility to live like God's children. Holiness is incumbent upon all who come to this table. There's a warning, but there's also a solution. N- notice what the Bible says. Y- y- you may, look, before we get there, look, you may right now say, how could I be worthy? You may tremble at the thought of taking the Lord's Supper. You may be like Martin Luther was uh, early in his career as a priest when he would tremble so long he could not administer the Lord's Supper because it struck such fear in him. Perhaps you tremble at the thought. Perhaps you say, I will never be sufficient. What is the answer? I bet it's simpler than you think it is. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's a simple answer, my friends. The answer is repentance. Coming to the Lord's table, you come to a crossroads. And when you encounter the Lord Jesus in the midst of this supper, in the midst of the taking of this supper, I want you to be reminded that you can continue owning your sin. Or, as you examine yourself, you can repent of your sins and turn toward Jesus and so eat of the supper. It's available to anyone and everyone. Everyone is welcome at the table. The only prerequisite is that you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. All those who trust in Him are welcome at the Lord's table. That's the solution. Many of our Baptist brethren, rightfully, throughout history, have taken the Lord's Supper very seriously. And... Over the years, there are all sorts of ways to make sure and ensure that the Lord's Supper is being taken seriously. Many Baptist churches for a long time have practiced, and some still do, what's called closed communion. That is, in order to take the Lord's Supper, you have to make sure that you you have to ensure that everyone who takes the Lord's Supper is a member of that local church. And what that does is allow them to know that all who take the Lord's Supper take it appropriately. Others... Maybe have a different view, but their pastors administer the Lord's Supper, or their deacons administer their Lord's Supper at the front of the church, and they only give the Lord's Supper to those they know uh, are, are able to take it. Churches have given tickets out to people in different ways, all sorts of ways. This is called, historically, this practice is called fencing the table at the Lord's Supper. But let me tell you why we don't do that. Let me tell you why we give the supper freely. It's not because I, I want to take the supper less seriously than our forebears did. It's not anything to do with us thinking we might offend someone or something like that. We don't want to intentionally offend anyone, but I'm going to confess to you guys, I would rather offend you than offend God. I I would rather offend you than offend God. Why do we pass the supper? Why do we do that? Simply because of this verse. Let each one, let a person examine himself then. You are responsible for fencing the Lord's table. You are responsible for coming to this crossroads, examining yourself. I can't tell whether your heart's right. I don't know whether there are sins that should prevent you from taking the Lord's Supper. All I can do is tell you that you should examine yourself and decide based on the scriptures whether or not you should take the Lord's Supper. But I want to encourage you to always come to this crossroads and to always choose Christ. Notice what Paul says. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Examine yourself. And if you judge yourself truly, you will not be judged. Now, judgment is something that troubles our hearts. It bothers us to think of this table of grace potentially being a table of judgment. But here's what I want you to know. God's judgment for Christians. In fact, God's judgment for any of you right now is meant not to result in total condemnation. Now listen, I'll tell you, I must tell you, if you go your whole life without repenting and turning to Jesus, there is condemnation at the end of the road. God will not tolerate sin forever. But I want you to see what the Bible says. When we are judged by the Lord, makes you cringe, doesn't it? Just to think about being judged by the Lord. It's almost problematic for us to hear that because, listen, we're a gospel church and we believe in the Lord's grace and so it might even trouble you to even just hear something like being judged by the Lord. But even in God's judgment, there's mercy for us. Do you see what the Bible says? The Bible says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Do you see it, my friends? That tinge you feel, that worry you feel, that trouble you feel when you feel the warning of this table coming upon you is God's mercy for you. It's God beckoning you to turn from sin. Wouldn't you rather experience the temporary judgment of taking this supper seriously and taking holiness seriously? Wouldn't you rather feel that than feeling the eternal judgment that God is bringing on the world for rejecting him and for rejecting his Christ and for continuing on in their sins? The the purpose of God's judgment for his people is to lead us to repentance. And there is no surer sign of the Lord's grace in your life than in the presence of discipline in your life. The Lord disciplines those He loves. He loves his children. He cares for his children, but God will never spoil his children. Uh, My friends, like David said, God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Sin is rampant in the world, death is rampant in the world, the devil is like a roaring lion in the world, and yet once a month, We come right here to this table. We share a supper together. It's a testimony to the world that this is a unified church. It's a testimony to our own fleshly desires and to our own sin that's at work in our hearts and lives that we are recipients of the Lord's grace. My friends, it's a reminder to the devil himself of the power of a holy church united under Christ's authority. Let this table be a reminder of our unity in Christ. Let this be a reminder of God's grace in Christ. Let it be a celebration of the holiness that's given to us through Christ and let this table be a celebration of all that God has done for us through the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ church every week every month every time we come together we proclaim the gospel and when we come to this table we proclaim the gospel in such a unique way let's continue to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, perhaps this supper has been a reminder today of of the fact that you are being called to repent of your sins and turn to God in faith through Jesus. I would love to talk to you today about what it means to trust in Jesus. I I do believe if you turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. You don't need me. You, You don't need help with that. The only help you need is Jesus but if you want someone to talk to, if you need someone to talk to, I'll, I'll be here to talk to you and to counsel you this morning. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I just need a little, a little time to pray, a little time to do business with the Lord. If you need someone to talk to, you come talk to me. I'll be standing right down here. If you want to pray in this altar, you can if you want to grab a friend. Or you can do business right where you are with the Lord. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. It would be such a joy to me to talk to you today about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, if you want to respond to the Lord in any of these ways, let me invite you to come. Let's pray together.